0: he was really my spiritual father and it really hurt and it caused a lot of divisions but i was like
1: you know this is what this is what the scripture says but this is what this is what christianity is saying and these things are not adding up he started telling us that girls you need to you need to dress for your future husbands you shouldn't be dressing for anyone else you and I'm sitting there <laughs> as a 10 year old going, I'm 10, why am I wor- Why should I be worried about how I'm dressing?
0: Openness and sharing and the honesty and how difficult that is because you, it, it can be used against you. And when that happens, you know, a, a time or, or maybe two, if you'll even after the first time, will open yourself up again. It, it's uh it's really painful and it, and it becomes y- you feel really isolated.
1: Come over me for this guy. It, it, just his facial
0: expressions, looking around like I don't belong here, mm. and that made me feel so sad. And I was just like, I don't belong here either. Then. So pervasive in that culture of like this this idea of American exceptionalism, and and like we have to have this flag and we have to be like if, if you aren't for the war if you aren't for whatever then you're not really Christian and I'm like well, how does that fit with a cross
1: um, and and that I think kind of shattered the like the, the armor already had a lot of chinks. Yeah. but that kind of like was the final blow to be like okay I don't know that this is true and
0: I'm kind of starting to believe that it's not
1: for the most part i kept those questions to myself um because i started to get this feeling um, as much as i loved my church as much as i loved um the people there as much as i felt like this strong sense of belonging I, i i really did not feel like it was an okay place to ask really difficult questions But I I have always thought that that's so not toxic, but like unhealthy, because it's teaching us how to be clever and like sneaky with things that we're doing. The Scott Stevan Podcast presents a Deconstructing Faith series, where we look at people's stories of what was built, what was lost, and what was found in between. Episode six. Phil Van Dyke. Hello, everybody. This is Scott, and welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast, and thank you for joining us on this Deconstructing Faith series. Uh, Thank you for much love and a lot of the responses we have been getting uh, from this series. And today we're going to be talking with our guest, Phil Van Dyke. Uh, Phil is a good friend of mine actually we were roommates together at uh, Anderson University and knew each other from church camps and everything in the state of Ohio and it's great to reconnect with you Phil and to kind of hear your story so Phil thank you for joining me on the show
0: yeah thanks for having me on man
1: so Phil just real quick kind of give us like a quick update about who you are like if you had to do a snapshot of who Phil Van Dyke is what would you tell people
0: Well, I would say that I'm a husband and father, I am someone who is in between like career shifts, you know, like just trying to figure out where I'm going, just finished my undergrad finally, um, after not going to Anderson for 15 plus years or so, you know, Um, I'm, I'm a nerd, I love to read, Uh, and I just recently got into Major League Soccer, so
1: All right, so what team are you reading through for uh, Major League Soccer?
0: Crew all the way, baby.
1: Yeah, there there you go. go. That's what I'm talking about, crew. (laughs) Glory to Columbus, man. Exactly. Uh, So, Phil, tell us a little bit about kind of like your religious upbringing. Like, what was life like for you? Uh, Did you have a religious upbringing? Did you grow up in the church? Did you kind of come to the church at a later date? Just kind of give us a kind of an update on kind of your upbringing.
0: I was a cradle Protestant
1: i grew up in the church of god which i think you did too um no i actually grew i actually grew up uh originally i grew up nazarene and then left the church my family left the church i didn't leave it i was one year i was in first grade but my family left Mm -hmm. the church and then we started going back to church around fifth sixth grade and then that was church of god Mm -hmm. so i pretty much grew up church of god but i was actually started off in the nazarene tradition
0: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I was, I went to church of God growing up. I went to Anderson university. Um, and you know, I don't think that my faith was ever my own when I was a kid. Like it was always my parents' faith. Like we were, we were at church at every opportunity, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. And if they had any other work day, like we were there, you know, um, but yeah like when i went to anderson and our first bible class is kind of uh the the beginning of, of the end of my protestant uh walks but you know um but yeah like i've always wanted to have a relationship with jesus and i've kind of just been in this place of like until i finally figured out what that was like i was just kind of drifting aimlessly
1: so yeah, so you 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 mentioned that um taking Bible taking your first Bible class uh was the beginning of the end of your Protestant walk. So explain that to me. Like how did that happen?
0: Yeah, so uh what was the professor's name? Uh Barnett? Yeah, I had Barnett. It, yeah, it, we, we were in the same one, like it was that big lecture hall. It was like yes. it was the first time I heard about Daniel dancing naked or yeah, David. A, David, David, yes. Sorry with a D. Um, so I was like, "Well, I didn't know that happened," and then, but like, that wasn't really a big deal to me. Like, I thought it was funny, you know, in my immature brain. Um, but when I heard about the Deuterocanonical books and the Apocrypha, I was Mm. like, "Hang on a second, there's more. Like, what else have you not been telling me?" And it kind of, and it kind of like felt like when I was a kid and I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real and it was actually my parents, like. What else have you been lying to me about? Mm. And, you know, kind of because of that, like, I'm just a natural skeptic. And, like, it took me probably until, I don't know, like, maybe 2014 to really kind of, like, say, like, okay, I'm officially done with the Protestant church, but I still kept going, you know. And it wasn't until I met my wife, who was doing double duty. She had friends at a Protestant church that I went to which is where I met her, and then on our first date, she whispered under her breath that she was Catholic, and she thought that was going to be the end of it, and I was like, well, wait a second, I've got questions, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, her and her family kind of just, like, took me in and just, like, answered all the questions very lovingly, and I just, I finally found that spot, but yeah. um, It started in, in, uh, in college, then I read stuff from Shane Claiborne, which really screwed me up. Mm -hmm. um and you know a lot of people like but in a good way but some people might think that's negative um but it, it taught me to like really question like what do protestants believe like how does how does this specific form of christianity fit into what like i feel like god is actually saying and what he wants us to do you know and then just kind of like that holy discontentment for you know 10 plus years uh before i met my wife and then it wasn't until then that it just really took off
1: Yes, and and you, it's interesting you bring up, um, you know, Shane Claiborne, and I think kind of some of other influential books that came out because that was it—the Irresistible Revolution—is that the book that one and about? Jesus for President were like and Jesus for president. And then I think you know, and there was also things like Donald Miller Blue Light Jazz that was like another yeah. big book that came yeah. out. And mm-hmm. you you bring up a you bring up an interesting point where you know the idea of especially within the Protestant church, you know, what is it that we believe? Because especially with all the different denominations that we have within the Protestant church and so many different, and even if you look at like the Methodist church and how many splits the Methodist church had and the Lutheran church and, and some of these other kind of, and even the Presbyterians, you kind of go, okay, well, what, you know, not only like, what is it that we believe but also, how is it that we put our belief into practice? Because sometimes those seem to be two different sides of They're part of the mm-hmm. same coin, but sometimes they seem to be on two different sides of the coin. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's very interesting you say that, because I think that's a big, um, I think almost a big catalyst to kind of what you're telling Because, I mean, obviously you're asking these questions and what was it like about 10 years? You're kind of a spiritual drifter. Would you say? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, I, like, I went from
0: church to church, you know, trying to figure out what, what was good. The one thing that the Protestant church is great at is marketing and, um, and trying to get you to buy into like a, a, a holistic view of, of God that fits their brand um and i mean i remember when i went to my first catholic bookstore i i remember lamenting the fact that it wasn't as as flashy as as say the protestant stuff like like when i was looking at books like it, it didn't they didn't just grab me you know like something from like a, a shane claiborne or maybe even a, a david platt or or somebody that i don't necessarily agree with like a eric metaxas or mm-hmm. or something like that you know like Everything is packaged in such a nice way that it's like, it's hard not to like, kind of feel pulled to that when, when I don't really feel like I've, I was getting a lot of substance, which I mean, maybe, maybe a harsher indictment than what
1: I intended, but, mm-hmm. um but yeah,
0: like it's.
1: Yeah. And I think in, I mean, cause like right now, like for um, my school, um, I'm starting school and we're learning about what the church is. And of course the first book I'm reading is what on earth is the church. I mean, here's the cover, which, Oh, hold on my, oh, you can't even see it because I have that blur. Oh, never mind. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not very flashy, but I mean, it's just, but it's in depth. It's just so much depthness in that book. Yeah. It's, you know, and I, and I get it, you know, I think, A lot of times, you know, you say Protestants are good at marketing uh, their brand or marketing a a view of God that fits kind of within their doctrinal statement in some ways, or their brand, as you would put it. So when you talk about, so when we talk about kind of this idea of deconstructing, we see, Mm -hmm. you know, Bible class and, you know, the Deuterocanonical and the Apocrypha, like that was kind of the Mm -hmm. start and then seeing kind of you know how certain churches and branding and everything else was there anything else that kind of kind of helped with the whole spiritual journey slash deconstruction that that you were looking at that you were having issues with with the protestant church
0: yes um primarily it's christian nationalism Mm. um that was probably the biggest thing because i mean okay so Kind of backstory, I remember watching the shock and awe campaign in your dorm room before we were actually roommates, mm-hmm. like like when we went to Afghanistan to begin with, and I was cheering it on. I remember everybody, like we all were kind of, I think, I don't I, mean, I can't speak for you, I don't remember what you were doing, but we were all like, yeah, like we're getting them back for 9-11, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then like shortly after I left Anderson, like I read the Irresistible Revolution and I started talking to people that thought differently You know, and I was like, wait a second, Jesus went to the cross. He didn't carry a weapon, you know, and ever since then, like, I just had this, again, like this holy discontentment, like, and I've been to church services, like the last Protestant church that I attended before I became Catholic, or at least for for an extended period of time. There was a September 11th service and they marched the flags in. It started out with the American flag the Israeli nation state flag, the Christian flag, then the flag of Ohio. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, and, and like not every Protestant church is like this, but at the same time, like it's, it's so pervasive in that culture of like this, this idea of American exceptionalism and, and like, we have to have, this flag and we have to be like, if, if you aren't for the war, if you aren't for whatever, then you're not really a Christian. And I'm like, how does that fit with a cross? You Mm. know? Um, and like, and so I I started going to RCIA, which is the right of a Christian Christian initiation for adults, for Catholics when I become, when when I was becoming Catholic. Um, so like one of our first church services there was on a september 11th and the priest said this isn't a time for vengeance this is a time for mercy and i think it was the year of mercy for Pope francis and i was like this could be home mm. like, that, that was like the first or second like homily i heard before like before like actually entering um 'Cause like the that process is maybe like six months or so or something like that. And yeah, it was like the first or second week I was there and I was just like, oh my gosh. Like and there there like not every Catholic church is like this, but there was no flag in the sanctuary. It was outside the sanctuary. I mean I'm not saying like you shouldn't have a flag, like people are very patriotic and I'm not gonna knock them for that but i think that when you're in a sacred holy space like why like if you're going to have a flag why aren't you having all of them because like the church is global you know Mm. and you know if if you want to if you if you're really to me like if you're trying to get christ's message across like you can't be in in this space of like we're better than you because i mean it's just tribalism
1: and, that, and you bring up a very, very fascinating point about about tribalism and nationalism and stuff. and it's very interesting because I think, and again, I've never really been to a, a church in a third world country or, mm. a, or even a church in Australia or even in you know France or whatnot. But I don't really but as far as like anytime I see pictures or anything in, um, in everything, Um, Sometimes I'm just curious about why is it that we have such a, whatchamacallit, (sighs) why is it that we have such a big focus on putting, you know, a flag within the church? Laura and I, we were actually somewhere where, I can't remember where we were, but we walked in to a church and literally, uh, I didn't see a cross, I didn't even see the Lord's table. I saw two portraits of Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, the American flag, the Christian flag. Oh, let me take it away. I did. No, 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 no. This was a different time. But then right in the middle of the stage was a silhouette of the soldiers holding up the American flag at Iwo Jima. And I sat there and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what is this? And it was one of, but I mean, it was so huge though. That was the thing. It was like, it was like right front and center. And it was so huge. it just distracted from anything that was going on. And I had to sit there and go, and I was in that same thought. I'm like, what is this? This is so sh- bizarre. And I mean, and even like, if I think about growing in my faith of growing up in the church of God, like the church I grew up in, like if there were flags, they definitely weren't front and center. They might've been off to the side or they may have been in the back like right when you entered in, but very rarely did I see them up front, unless it was like a Memorial day or a, or veterans yeah, day yeah. or 4th or of mm-hmm. July. Like that would probably be when I would see them, but yeah, yeah, it was just so bizarre. And I think you bring up a good point. Cause I think I do remember that day where we sat there and we watched the footage and we had the lights off and we were watching like the night vision footage of like kind of the first attack in mm-hmm. Afghanistan after 9-11. And it was very surreal. And I think, you know, like you, I mean, I was all like, yeah, we're going to, you know, get them back and we're going to, you know, you know, fight against terrorists and stuff. And yet recently, I think it would probably been three years ago, I heard a story from a missions group here that deals a lot with communicating with pastors about world missions and stuff and everything that's happening and one of the big things that they said was um how they needed a lot of bibles sent to Iran because there was such a big resurgence of Christianity in Iran and people were coming to the gospel and they said that even when they were fighting against um Isis or something and maybe this was in Iran when they were fighting against Isis that People were healing up terrorists and people were reading the Bible to them. And a lot of the times they kept saying, we didn't know, we didn't know, we didn't know about this because, you know, they were basically buying into what someone taught them and not really reading not only the Bible, but then even probably not even reading the the Quran either because they're just basing it off what someone told them that this is what it says in here and you just kind of buy it at face value
0: of something like you know the the protestant notion of like sola scriptura um, Mm -hmm. and like that on top of like having big leaders that are like maybe like a john piper or or back when he was popular mark driscoll you know like you know like the the bible is the the uh inerrant word of god you know and we're the ones telling you like what it's saying and like we give them the Power. Like we just take whatever they say without questioning it, and like that's just as bad as any terrorist not questioning the Quran or or you know whoever they're listening to because you know like who know like how do we know that they're the ones actually interpreting it correctly? Like what is the correct interpretation of anything? And I mean it's it's part of the reason why we're in the problem like why we have the problem with, we have is because there's so much celebrity in christianity that you know it's just easier to like check out and say oh well my favorite theologian said this so that's what i'm going to believe
1: yeah and even even with the idea because i've been listening to the rise and fall of mars hill and just listening to that and i think celebrity is such a big issue i mean like you said you know the one thing that protestants do well is they market and even when you think about books you know you buy a book buy a you know a David Platt or a Mark Driscoll or a Francis Chan or a J.D. Greer or whatever, and you can read into it and you can go, oh, okay, and you really buy into what's being written. And yet most of the time we don't really think about, okay, well, let me scour the scriptures myself. And I think that's a big issue. So Phil, as we've been talking a lot about your story and kind of your deconstruction process and kind of hearing you, you kind of joining kind of moving towards Catholicism like kind of what are you doing now kind of talk about that journey from joining the Catholic Church to what you're doing now to kind of help like kind of I guess in a way restore your faith or kind of have a a new faith journey a renewed faith journey
0: yeah um honestly it's as simple as embracing church tradition um you know kind of like when you did your your little thing on Lectio Divina and spiritual discipline like I I found like the church fathers and church teaching and whether I've been reading or or just talking to other people like like being able to connect with like the church is just as important as as scripture because scripture is an authority but it's not the sole authority like when when Christ handed Peter the keys to the church, like he was the first Pope, mm-hmm. you know? And then like every priest and bishop, cardinal and Pope can trace their lineage all the way back to Peter with the apostolic succession, you know? And to me, like being able to, to have that community around me and, and again, like that cloud of witnesses, like that's that's been the most healing thing for me you know, obviously I read books. Um, there are a lot of modern theologians that are really great. Um, but again, like, like seeing these spiritual disciplines through the lens of the church it has been like instrumental in my faith formation.
1: Great. Great. And, and when you say, when you say, um, you said you found, you kind of found, like your faith being built up by tradition. Can you expound on that and what you mean by tradition? Cause I feel like when someone says the word tradition, it can be a whole plethora of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and on and the funny thing was is the homily this this weekend was was about not being too like into tradition, like like letting you know Jesus inform you first. But like the thing is is like all the way from the early church, like and you know the funny thing is when people read the early church Writers like Augustine, Aquinas, and all that—like they're reading Catholic stuff. Like, and all these Protestant people are like, "Wait a second, this is awesome! Like, we need to do this. Like, this is what the church needs to do." It was like, "Well, great, then come to the Catholic Church. We're doing it now," you know. Um, but being able to to kind of like, because like before before the the we have the Bible as we know it now, like everything was passed through both oral and written traditions and the scripture at that time was really just the old testament you know so again like just kind of going back to see like well what has the church done and done well you know and like what and, and also like when you're when you're looking at a tr- in church tradition like you should also like have the same kind of scrutiny that you do with the bible you know like is this something that 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 is is following what god wants us to do or is this something from fallen humanity you know because i mean the church has done some pretty crazy terrible things in the name of god you know and that can't be swept under the rug but like looking at the saints and and kind of understanding that they are part of that cloud of witnesses that's there to be to be a help for us like why why would we not use that at our disposal you know why would we not use like things like Lectio Divina why would we not use the sacraments specifically you know like I mean you've got baptism you've got marriage you've got um reconciliation um i'm I'm missing a few, I know. but like the most important and really honestly is the Eucharist. In true tradition, like we believe that the body and blood is present in the bread and the wine, which become the hosts and the cup. You know, And to me, like, if you're talking about like a relationship with the Lord, like how does it get any any more intimate than like Christ entering you? You know? And when I was in the Protestant church, it's it was kind of like, okay. We sang some songs. We heard a great message. Like we get, we got like five tips on how to do how to be better on social media. You know, now it's time to go. You know, like I'm not saying that the Bible can't help with that. You know, but like the Bible isn't there for everything. Like it's it's not a guidebook. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a living document that could help help form what we what we think and. And how we act, but Jesus wasn't back there saying like, well, in 2000 plus years, there's got to be this thing called Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and you need to know how to do that. Like, that's not the way the Bible was set up. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, and I think that's always, you know, even when I think about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you know, you always have scripture, you have experience, you have um, reason and tradition. And I think that's always important where tradition is always going to be something where you can't just remove. And actually, especially when you think about that idea, that cloud of witnesses and Mm -hmm. just reading, you know, reading some, you know, um, Francis of Assisi or I have one, I can't remember who it is, but it's of someone of Loyola Loyota maybe it's another Francis I'm not sure yeah uh, Francis of Loyola or something I don't know a lot of Francis yeah. and lots of piouses out there in the Catholic church so yeah uh, but when you think but when you think about all that you know it's almost like when I do a research paper on um, whatever, you know, I could come up with my own ideas, but then it's like, well, I have to look at other what other people have said about it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they're modern theologians, maybe they're ancient theologians. You know, what did or mm-hmm. did Origin have anything to say about something? Did yeah, um, you know, did Thomas Aquinas have anything to say about it? Did um, you know, did Billy Graham have something to say about it? And you kind of mm-hmm. look at or um, Charles Spurgeon, you know, another one. Mm-hmm. You look at it and you go, okay, you know, what are all these? People, Christians, the leaders who have been reading the scriptures, who have been proclaiming the scriptures, who are proclaiming Jesus Christ, you know, who are part mm. of the body of Christ, like what are they doing and how is that, how has that shaped our view or of our understanding of the word and our understanding of a relationship with God? But then even how does that fit within my own view and my own understanding of who God is and my own relationship with God? And I think a lot of times, and this is something that I learned that I'm kind of been, playing with in my head is i feel like you know like you said you know you could hear a great five-point sermon on the on how to be better a better christian on facebook or social media and i feel like a lot of times with um with the church it's very or the protestant church it's very evangelical where it's all about the word it's all about intellectual stimulation but then when do we get to the sacramental when do we get to the point where we start to have that experience yeah And I think that's been a big and that's been a big thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, because there's always a big thing about it's always about reading the Bible. It's about listening. It's about Bible study. It's all about everything's all about up here, which is fine. And that's great. But when do we have the thing in here and when do we have that experience with our Lord and Savior? When do we have that experience with God? When do we have that experience where we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit? And that's always seems to be kind of a missing puzzle because we're all about the intellect and this mind stimulation, but never the experiential
0: yeah and and i mean a, like a byproduct of that is like because i mean i remember when i was protestant and like and i had to defend my faith and like i had to be right if i was wrong then everything that i ever knew had to be put into question you know and like in the beauty of the sacraments is that like it forces you to sit down and just recognize that there is a giant mystery that we'll never understand until you know we get on the other side of heaven And again, like another one of the healing things for me is being able to sit in that mystery. And when somebody says, well, what about this? And be like, honestly, I don't know. Like, let's, let's look at it together and see what we come up with. And we may not come up with the same definition or, or whatever, but like, that's okay. You know, I think that as long as we're humble enough to say, God teach me, he's going to do that
1: yeah and and you bring up and you bring up two great things you know there's always been this thing with the apologetics and like we have to defend everything we have to defend and we always have to have an answer and if we don't have the answer then what does that do to our faith i think that's a huge thing where what like you said and that's one of the things that i've always when i talk about evangelism where i teach evangelism people go well how do i tell people about jesus i'm like well go work with them be in a relationship and if they ask you questions and you don't know the answer then that's fine it's okay not to have the answer but then that might be something that might could be the catalyst for both of you Mm -hmm. to come together to have that point of experiential to have that point of communion with god and as you are searching for these longing answers that apparently are kind of these hang-ups for why they're not having that connection with christ yeah. Um, and I think that's and I think that's very vital and very important for us to do. Uh, there was something else you said, and I totally forgot <laughs> that I was gonna follow up like, oh yeah, you said yeah. something it's like, oh, I don't know, but yeah. it, was, it was in that same motif. And it is, and, and well, one of the things I think about is when I'm thinking back to that day at um, you know, introduction to the Bible with Burnett and Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I could only imagine when you heard that. And probably some of the other stuff in that class, because I know there's been some other people in that class who dropped out of that class because it really was challenging them with what they believed or what they thought they believed. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in your case, it was something where, yeah, you had to go on a spiritual journey, but eventually you ended up finding something to kind of... um that kind of is helping you grow stronger in your faith and stronger in your relationship with God. So in some ways, kind of that, some of that shaking of the tree, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of got mm-hmm. the bad fruit kind of got some of the bad fruit that would been planted that's been hanging on the branches so that more good fruit could be grown from there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a good pruning process in that. Um, so yeah, like something that you, that you were saying about as you were following up, I think that the this this desire to know everything is 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 kind of like it it feeds into our hubris you know um and I think that the more we try to to know the more we try to be like God or God's ourselves with our faith like the less we actually connect with with like what's really going on like to be fully Christian is to fully embrace the human experience and all of its ugliness. Mm-hmm. You know, like why did Christ come down? Like he came to be an experiential component. And I mean, he's the only one that knew everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because he was so connected with God that like he was able to know everything. We aren't there. And you know, like in and, and kind of like when somebody's like, well, why don't you have the answer to this? Like, well, as soon as you have the answer for everything, maybe I'll try. <laughs> you know like like why 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 do i have to to appease you like it's it's not it's not that i don't want to have a good conversation but like you're acting in bad faith right now which is so much of our discourse anyway like on on a daily basis like i don't know when i can have an honest conversation with somebody who's willing to be humble like christ came to say humble yourselves humble yourselves to the point of death to the point of the cross mm-hmm you know, and without church tradition, you know, showing us the way, how can we get there? You know, like saying sola scriptura, it, like it, it's a good start, you know, like looking at the Bible as an authority, but like we can't get to the fullness of Christ without the full picture. And until we embrace that full picture of the mysteries mm-hmm. and and the beauty of the church, in all of its brokenness you know like augustine said was it the church is a whore but she's our mother like there's we we are a fallen people we're going to do terrible things to each other but it's still where we found out the love of christ Mm -hmm. and christ is going to bring that into into completion and everything is going to be made whole like the question is is do you have the faith to like sit in that as you're deconstructing and that's that's what i had to come to was like Okay, I'm going to like I'm going to take a step back and, and abstract everything, but I am going to say that the, my point of abstraction ends at God is good and God is going to bring me to completion. And then when I build those pieces back into my life, like then I know like where I'm standing is more solid than I was before. You know, not saying that I'm going to be perfect, not saying that I'm going to have all the answers. I mean, I'd like to think that I am. You know, because I like to think that I'm a really intelligent individual, but, you know, my daughter, who's going to be three tomorrow, she teaches me stuff all the time, you know, my wife blows me away like she's, she's my rock, you know, and being able to, to have her in my life and her family, you know, be like, we don't agree on everything, like, but we love each other enough to know when we can have those conversations and when we need to walk away and, and just kind of just like stumble through life together, trying to bring each other closer to the Lord, you know?
1: Yeah absolutely phil and i think that's a great place to kind of stop on this mm-hmm. uh interview so P- phil again thank you so much for joining me it has been a long time since we've seen each oh, other and, and hopefully once i'm back in ohio for long periods of time i feel like anytime with having kids it's like anytime i come back grandparents get the priority oh <laughs> so yeah definitely definitely But guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Again, we would like to know your thoughts and your opinions on this show or on this episode. Uh, Hopefully- once I start, if I get a lot of feedback, I definitely will probably do a follow-up episode just to kind of answer some more questions and maybe be able to bring uh, some of our interviewers, interviewees back on the show to just kind of answer some of these questions that you still may be lingering. Because again, like Phil says, this is a process and this is a a great healing process for some of you who may currently right now be listening to us and going through a deconstruction phase in your faith. Uh, Guys, again, you thank you again. I can never thank you enough for being such great support to this channel and to listeners again you can message me um, whether through it's our facebook page the scott steadman podcast on facebook or you can go to my website the put your messages on there and we'll definitely be able to get back to you and help you out and uh again phil thank you so much for joining me on the show i greatly appreciate it
0: thanks for having me on man
1: and guys again thank you again for listening and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll have a new podcast on soon take care